Hey, I'm Ben Ramos, and I get the privilege of serving here as the senior pastor. We are a church all about the authentic power of God coupled with sound theology because God's given us his inerrant, infallible word, and in it, he calls us to be people who are filled by his Holy Spirit, people who are empowered by his Holy Spirit, and people who are led by his Holy Spirit. As a local congregation, God's called us to help people take steps in their relationship with Jesus, to see them rise from death to life and glory to glory. I just want to thank you guys so much for joining us today. I truly pray and I hope that this message would be an encouragement to you and your life, that it would help you to recognize that the mission field is all around you and that it would help you to take steps in your relationship with Jesus. Be blessed. Well, good morning. It's good to see you. I'm going to move this because I got a little more girth to me than you do, Nick. I got a little room. I need a little room, y'all. Now, I'm excited to be here with you this morning. One of the things that's interesting, and uh, I'd love to just, uh, I don't know, and I'm not trying to put him up on a pedestal, but Pastor Ben, if you've never met him, is a fantastic pastor. One, because uh, he's never heard me preach, and I'm standing in front of you today. Got a lot of trust, right? We could just, we could like, this is infused with, you know, coffee and Red Bull. Uh, let's see what happens. No, but, but I want you to know, um, Ben and I have had a lot of interaction over the last six months. His faith level is amazing. We met uh, just through mutual contacts. We were in the process of coming from uh, the Seattle area here. And we messaged him on Facebook of all places, right? Because that's the natural form of communication for millennials. Uh, and, and we just started interaction and we landed here. Uh, I'm not on staff as a pastor. I am a four square pastor. Uh, we've been in ministry for about 15 years and we're just really uh, excited and glad to be here. So thank you for having me. Thank you, Nick, for uh, introducing me. So a little about us. Like I said, we're, I'm a four square pastor. My wife is as well. Uh, one thing I'm going to say that's super controversial, four square as a denomination is a Protestant denomination, Christian but we believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We believe in women in ministry. And we believe that you have access to the fullness of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. I'm sorry if that offends you, but it's real. You're in a four square church. That's what we believe. And so I'm not trying to point that out to purposely offend you, but just point you to the fact that this is what you're walking into, okay? Uh, my wife and I have been married 14 years. Uh, we have Two children, Ezra and Lexiana, uh, and one on the way. So if you're wondering why my wife and children aren't here, it's because my wife has been incredibly sick for the last 12 weeks. Uh, so send prayers her way. It's starting to, morning sickness is beginning to go away, but we're in that process of uh, the waiting to get over that. Uh, but for the last year and a half, we've actually been out of ministry. Um, we stepped out of ministry in uh, January of 2020 after our uh, loved pastor died of cancer. So it's been an interesting process as I began to do this and kind of dust, take the dust off of uh, some of the books and, and prepare uh, in the way that I haven't in the last year and a half. We've been able to focus on family, which has been incredibly life-giving. Uh, and it's been a great process of healing for us as well. So... Uh, yeah, it's my first message in a long time and I'm really excited. So if I get loud, I've already warned the tech team that if I scream, they're going to be quick on the fader to help me out. Okay. So <clears throat> let's just pray really quick and we're going to dig into the message. So Jesus, we just pray right now that as we hear the hearts would be soft that as words are spoken, Jesus, they're not mine. I don't want it to be mine. I pray that my words fall to the floor and that your words would be exalted. So Jesus, we just really set over this right now. In your mighty name we pray, amen. amen. We see in the passages to come that Jesus is preparing his disciples for his crucifixion, but also his resurrection. He spends most of his ministry with his disciples uh, off and on, right? But... In these last hours before his death, Jesus spends a special time with all of them. He encourages them to love one another as he has loved them. 
and even more so, that this type of love would distinguish Christians in the world. People will know you are Christians because of how you love one another. Our mission as a church body is not only to offer solutions to a life, to, of life to a world that is hurting and broken, but also even greater than this, provide a beacon of hope that can't be found outside of faith in Jesus Christ. So for you don't takers, the, the name of this sermon is called uh, Love Made the First Move. So if you're a note taker and you want to know where we're going to be on a scripture, because I took too long to get slides to the tech team. I'm just outing myself right there. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, we'll be in John 13 and 15, Luke 22 and 23, and a couple other smatterings in there. So listen, I'm counting on everybody who knows the write it down <laughs> phrase right now. Okay. You know who you are. Pastor Ben is starting this thing, right? If we're going to be a church who really uh, sits on his word, we're going to write down stuff that hits us hard. So if you're that person, I love for you guys to be part of that. But see, I want to share a really wonderful memory from my childhood. But before I do that, I just want to say, I, I recognize, and I love that Lori brought this out. I recognize that not all of us had a good childhood. I recognize that sometimes we actually had really messed up childhoods right? But I also believe that Jesus is giving a significant opportunity in moments like these, when his Holy Spirit is in a space, that as something like this is being shared, it actually can repair our hearts. And so the reason I've actually put this story in place is not because I wanted to tell some amazing story about my grandmother, <laughs> even though it's pretty cool, but I actually put it in place because I felt like it was important for our hearts. So who loves their grandma? If, if you aren't raising your hand, you're, uh, hopefully you either have a really good grandma, maybe you didn't know her, but I hope, I hope that you have a good relationship. But I remember as a kid that the highlights of my summers and the weekends of my summer was going to grandma and grandpa's house. They had this big, beautiful house in Kent, Washington. If you know where that's at, you're, you are legit, you know. If you don't know where Washington is, I'm sorry. It's also an interesting place to live right now. We'll leave that alone. Uh, but when I was growing up, my grandmother was an avid gardener. My grandfather was also an avid golfer, and so he took care of the grass. But my grandmother also got on his case a lot for chipping holes in the grass. And there was usually some loving response of like, if you chip another hole in the grass, I'm going to bury you underneath it. Okay. That, that usually happened on a fairly regular case. And so my grandfather stopped doing that in the front yard, at least because <laughs> the front yard was the place that, that she really wanted to look nice. So not only was their yard immaculate, but my grandmother was, uh, was just taking care of so much in the yard. There were apple trees on the far side of the yard. They had the beautifully manicured lawn because my grandfather wanted it to look like a golf course. Y'all know how green that is and how beautiful it is, right? But my grandmother almost protected her garden beds as much as she protected us grandchildren. And one of the things that I found about that uh, in thinking about this memory is remembering that my grandmother every year without fail, would plant strawberries every single year. And in the summers, she would allow all of us 22 grandchildren. Yeah, there's a lot of us. My, my dad's one of seven, right? Uh, to go and pick those strawberries. And if you've never had a strawberry ripe from the vine, uh, you're missing out, okay? It, it's, it, if you're used to like cold strawberries from the store, you should really go pick some and eat them straight from the vine. They're delicious. Uh, but I remember that she allowed us to go out and pick the ones that were ripe every summer. But something that I never really understood until I was older was that she never complained when she went to go pick fruit for herself and there wasn't any. Because there's 22 grandkids, right? We're all eating strawberries all summer long. But instead, I caught her more than once sitting on the balcony just outside of their kitchen. And she would just smile and watch us pick these strawberries. It was a labor of love 
for her. She made a choice three months prior every year to make sure that the soil was tended. She would plant and water, prune as needed, ensure sunlight was perfect. And finally, she'd put an open can of beer in the, there because slugs were her mortal enemy. And her comment was, if they have to die, at least they'll die happy. Now, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not condoning anything in that. I'm just quoting. Please, please don't write to Pastor Ben. Uh, same thing. And yet after all that sacrifice to produce that crop, she would never complain, but have great pleasure in seeing us enjoy what she had produced. She had planned the crop on purpose every year, even after my cousins and I grew up, which is commitment, right? 30 years basically of strawberries every year. But see, love in its pure form always makes the first move. Maybe you've never experienced that kind of love. Even as I speak, it's hard for you to totally comprehend it. That's okay. But what we find in scripture is that Jesus actually gave us some really clear expectations of what love looks like. And I want to take you, so John 13, verses 34 and 35 Jesus says to the disciples, I am giving you a new commandment that you love one another, one another. Wow, that was interesting. That you love one another just as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then we see Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. Jesus has passed at this point. So you're seeing the example that Jesus left to the disciples as Paul speaks and says, what is love? He gives some tangible, real words to what love looks like. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 13 is kind of the whole focus, but we're gonna, we're gonna dial that through four, four through seven. And it says, love is patient, Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act disgracefully. It does not seek its own benefit. It, has, it is not provoked. Does not keep an account of wrongs suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It keeps every confidence. It believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love, as Jesus defines it, is not something that we totally understand. We can put words to it, but living it out is what actually changes something in us. See, Jesus gave us a mouth, uh, mouth, uh, he did give us that. He gave us a map, both in his actions and in his words, as to how to love so deeply that it literally shifts culture. Jesus says that he is about his father's business and his father's business has been and always will be about pursuing you. He loved you before time began. He loved you in the womb. He loved you as a baby. He loves you now and beyond. And he'll grieve in the day that you don't join him in heaven. I want to tell you a story about a, a man that I met. Um, his name's Jerry. Uh, I didn't know his name when I met him. And I'll explain to you how I learned his name in just a moment. <laughs> but I was going to meet our late pastor for coffee. I was on staff as the associate pastor at a church in Edgewood, Washington. And uh, we were going to meet in a town called Puyallup, which is just south. It's not Puyallup. It's not Puyallup. It's Puyallup. If you didn't know that and you go there, you'll sound like a local. I just helped you out. That was free. Um, <laughs> write it down. No one knows how to spell it if you've not been there. Though. P U Y. I probably spelled it wrong too. <laughs> Nick. <laughs> I'm disappointed a little. No. Uh, 
So about three years ago, I was on the way to eat coffee with my pastor, and uh, we pulled up at this coffee house called Anthem Coffee House. It's a cool place that all the cool kids go, millennials mainly. Uh, nothing against the older generation. Love y'all. Okay. Sorry, that sounded bad. Uh, not intentional. But uh, when I pulled up, I parked in a different area than I normally do, which is this kind of this large uh, park next to it. And right along on the sidewalk, probably 35 feet from me, there's a gentleman sleeping next to a light pole that had a socket to, to charge something, uh, that he was sleeping on the cold concrete. It was cold. It was about 40 degrees that morning, which means it was probably freezing overnight. And maybe he had been in a shelter, but at that time, anyways, he was sleeping on the concrete. Oh, and I was just looking at him. I got out of my car and I just sat. The coffee shop hadn't opened. It was about 10 minutes until then. And I'm looking at him and I'm like, Jesus, I want to I take care of this guy. I'd love to buy him coffee or, or get him breakfast or something. And I could do that just by loving him well. But I could also give him an encounter with the God who knows his name. And so I said, Jesus, I just need to know his name. I got to know his name. I'll stand here until you tell me. I got to know his name. Sorry. <laughs> this is just a cool story for me. And so I'm sitting there and the Lord said, his name's Jerry. I said, okay, I guess I'm doing this. I asked, he, he delivered, right? And so I, I, uh, I'm seeing this guy still asleep. And I said, Lord, I need, I need him to be awake. I don't want to startle him awake because I just don't know where, and just to be really transparent, like I don't know where his mental state is at. I just need to know that he's not going to be scared by me approaching him. And in that moment, he woke up. Like literally I finished the sentence and he started to stir. And so he got up and, and looked at me kind of and, and looked away sheepishly. And I walked, you know, 15 steps to him and I said, hey, I, I just got to ask you, is your name Jerry? And he said, yeah, it is. Who, do I know you? No, no, actually, um, this might sound a little crazy, but I'm a Christian and, and I asked the Lord what your name was and he told me your name was Jerry. And I just felt like I wanted to come and say, I love you. And I, could I buy you breakfast? And he like, did someone walk past me like a few minutes ago, like say my name or no, I, I've been standing 35 feet from you for the last 10 minutes. And no one's walked by. He's like, I, I could have sworn I heard someone say my name. And I said, it's probably the same time I heard the Lord say your name to me. He's like, are you an angel? I'm like, bruh, am I an angel? <laughs> Listen, I'm sure angels come in all shapes and sizes, but they have that, you know, that angelic body, right? This is more like jelly donut body. Not the same thing, okay? But he allowed me to be there with him. And it was a sweet memory with my pastor because he came and joined us. We prayed for him and we just loved on him, bought him breakfast, invited him to church. I never saw him again. But I gotta believe that in that moment, that choice to love him unconditionally and ask Jesus to say his name because he knows your name changed his life. And I hope it did. Amen. This is a tangible way that God gives us opportunity to love people like he does with his indwelling love and indwelling of the Holy Spirit. God knows his name, Jerry, your name. And of course he would share it with me if I ask. That's a good father. Jesus says, uh, you know, our, and we'll get to this later, but you're no longer slaves. I call you friends because slaves don't know their master's business, but friends partner, right? We've been able to and allowed as believers to partner with what Jesus is doing. But Jesus goes even farther in his, ex in his examples and explanation of love. So in John 15, verses 9 through 16, if you want to get there, I'll let you for a moment. But Jesus takes some time to really drive into the disciples what this love is about. So starting in verse 9, he says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. 
If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and remained in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has none than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you, do, if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You do not, did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. He's, I made a way, right? That's what he's saying. I made a way for you to be not just a servant, not just someone who follows commands. You're not a robot. You haven't been expected to do something that you haven't signed up for. But I'm giving you opportunity to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself, bigger than you could ever imagine, has more power tangibly in the world as it stands right now than ever before. And I'm giving you that opportunity to partner with me as a friend. That's what Jesus is saying here to his disciples that also extends to us. So why is there so much surrounding love in the Bible? I'd encourage you, there's a book uh, by an author named John Eldridge called Epic. It's a short read, but it really just very well illustrates the Bible as a love story. There's, there is a, a thread through Genesis to Revelations that, G, that God set up from the beginning to have Jesus come and die for us, to open the doors of heaven for us and bankrupt hell. Amen. Amen. Listen, you two, we gotta, you can't talk during this. I'm just kidding. I love you guys. <clears throat> I try to be careful just in my sermons, not to qualify this too much, but I like to joke a little bit. I don't want this to be so heavy. I want this to be light. The word says that, that his burden is light. And I don't feel like just because words are spoken heavy means that they have to be heavy. Does that make sense? I hope that blesses you this morning. But why is there so much surrounding love? Let me, let me see this. Can everybody repeat after Donald? This is Donald's opinion. Wow, I've only convinced like half of you. Okay, don't write to Pastor Ben. This is recorded, he'll see it. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm really kidding. But uh, what I want to say is, is even when we go through life, we're going to pick up junk. I don't necessarily mean physically, but I do mean spiritually. There's stuff that we pick up. If you are not aware that the spiritual realm is a thing, it is, okay? There are forces of darkness that, that and I'll say that majestically, it's, it's, it's really just the factor that the enemy does not want you to know Christ. If his whole job is to stop you from that revelation, and if he does any, nothing else, that's his biggest goal. Our identity can be tied up in so much more that is not rooted in Jesus. But the love that Jesus shows you breaks down barriers. And without it, the story's incomplete. Do you remember the story of Simon Peter uh, denying Jesus three times? It's a fairly popular story. If you don't, I'm gonna give you a very brief overview. But basically... Simon Peter says to Jesus, no, may it not be that you will not die, right? He goes through this whole process, this whole part of the scripture, and then says, Simon, before the rooster crows three times, you will deny me, or crows once, you will deny me three times. And Simon Peter does. He's asked three questions, and each time he denies Jesus. I don't know this guy. For fear of death, really, that's what it was. 
And then we see this sweet interaction. And one of my most favorite stories in all of the Bible, just because it's fun, is the resurrect Jesus stands at the Sea of Galilee, right? Brothers, have you caught anything? Reminiscent of a story earlier in the book. No, we've been fishing all night. They don't know that this is Jesus. He's hit, him, he's hit himself. He's resurrect, right? Okay, hey, uh, cast your, nat, your net on the right side of the boat. So they do. And they have so many fish that it begins to almost sink the boat. Reminiscent of an earlier time where Jesus meeting these men for the first time said, cast your nets out. And they had to have sister ships come alongside them to haul in the fish because it was legitimately sinking their boat. And then I love that John, who talks about himself in the third person all through the gospels, the, the disciple that Jesus loved, which, you know, interesting way to talk about yourself all the time. He's just proclaiming like, I'm the most loved, just so you know. Uh, and John does that throughout his book. If you ever like just want to kind of chuckle, he's like, you know, we ran to the tomb and I beat Peter there. Sorry, guys, just wanted you to know. I love John in that way. And, uh, and so John jokingly like, uh, now I'm forgetting if it's John or Peter. I believe it's John that clothes himself and jumps in the water and swims to shore, which is silly. Why would you get dressed if you're gonna swim? Whatever, it's beside the point. But they get to the shore, offload the fish, Jesus sits down with them and already has a fire and fish on the fire that he didn't catch himself, right? So he's, in the time that they travel 300 feet basically to shore, Jesus has already got the table set for them. Of course he does. And they sit down and he asks Peter these questions. He says, Peter, do you love me? Right? This is in Luke uh, 20, I'm sorry, John 21. Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, well, yeah, of course I do. I love you. But there's a difference in the Greek. There's, two, there's multiple words in the Greek for the word love. There's the word agape or agape. And there's the word phileo or philea if, you, if you're using the feminine. And so when Jesus asks the question of Peter, he's saying, Peter, do you agape me? Do you agape me? Which is in its translation, unconditional love from God to, their pe to his people. An unconditional love that we can't, we don't understand. When Peter responds to him all three times, he says, oh God, of course I phileo you, which is brotherly love. It's not the same. Peter doesn't fully understand what Jesus is asking him, but we see that Jesus asks that question three times. And I believe that this is Jesus restoring Peter through love. Do you agape me? Yes, Lord, I phileo you. And then the last time Jesus says, Peter, do you phileo me? And he says, yes, Lord, of course I love you. Same word, right? But there's this, uh, there's this tangible reality of how Christ describes love and how we understand it. Love as Jesus describes is quite literally the antidote to all the enemy is attempting to do in the world. Because if we would realize that Jesus has empowered us to love like he does, there is no stopping the church and what it can accomplish. But we don't always live in that reality. We got stuff, we pick up junk. We've got to continually go to the source. But see, the thing is, is that we can't, even begin to express what agape love looks like, that unconditional love looks like outside a relationship with Christ. You can't give away something unless you've experienced it. Am I right? Who has experienced that kind of unconditional love, provision out of nowhere? You have some kind of healing that you need that Jesus comes down and makes happen. There is tangible ways that that kind of love shows up that does not show up anywhere else in the world. People are amazing. They do amazing things. And this unconditional love is way beyond what we could ever understand. So why does all this matter? Jesus was with the Father at creation 
and he knew what his role was at that time. Matthew 16, Jesus asks this line of questioning with the disciples and says, who do they say I am? And who do you say I am? Simon Peter responds to him. I promise I'm not sick. It is allergies. I've already had the Rona. Um, you, Simon Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this is not, was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I will tell you that you, Peter, are, uh, I will tell you that you are, Peter, the rock that I will build my church on and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And that word be bound in heaven in the Greek is actually be being is the translation meaning whatever you bound on earth will be being, will be already bound in heaven. Meaning that the keys to the kingdom that Jesus is giving you is full access to what's already been done in heaven. I can unpack that another time. Feel free to ask me questions after if you have any questions. But from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and then on the third day raised to life. See, the Jewish Pharisees and the, the teachers of the law didn't understand what they were setting into motion. After... Jesus is accused and arrested. Excuse me just a moment. Um, He's whipped. And not just with a whip, but with a cat of nine tails, which would have tore his back open. He was beaten and bruised, bleeding and absolutely exhausted. Nailed to a cross that he didn't belong on to to save all of mankind from a meaningless life and then instead offer fullness of life in Christ. The Bible says that you would live life and life to the full. In Luke 23, the soldiers also come up to him and mock him. They offer him wine vinegar and say, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And Jesus knew his role to die for you and I, that we may have an opportunity to spend eternity with him. And just above his head was written a notice that said, this is Jesus, king of the Jews. But we all know the story. He goes through this this terrible terrible, excruciating time. And then three days later, we know that he's raised from the dead. And it says in Luke 24, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. So the reason they had spices, if you weren't aware, is that they would use this in wrapping the body to keep the smell down and, and just in general to preserve his body. And they, they know, uh, undoubtedly would have had some very high-priced items to wrap Jesus in just out of reverence. Amen. <laughs> from the mouths of babes. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they entered, they did not find the body of Jesus So here's what's interesting about that. If you didn't know, Jesus dies. He's wrapped. The disciples go and rewrap him, set him in the tomb, roll a rock, and then there's a guard placed at the tomb. Stop Jesus' body essentially from being stolen by the disciples. And if you've seen this, there's this uh, TikTok that's out right now. (laughs) Okay, I'm a millennial, forgive me, right? But there's this song, and I forget the name of it, but it's in Guardians of the Galaxy where... uh, He's like, hey, hey, okay, anyways. So there's there's the joke about this guard like dancing in front of the tomb and he's like singing this song and he's like, hey, and then from inside the the tomb you hear, hey, and he's like, what? You know, and runs away. (laughs) 
Why did it, what happened? Who answered from inside of that? that that's just kind of a funny example, but the, without the guard knowing, Jesus is resurrected. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in, in gleaming clothes like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down on their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. You know, so just a little while ago, uh, I work in sales. And so I traveled quite a bit and I was driving through kind of the back way. I think it's Highway 34 that goes through Pingree and into Blackfoot down, or in Blackfoot through Pingree and down into Aberdeen. And, and just a little while ago, I was driving through there and those fields haven't been touched right, in six months or something. I mean, uh, you see just pipe laying everywhere all over the fields because, you know, the farmer, like, got tired of 10,000 miles of pipe that they're picking up, right, and, and left it there. And then it seemed like overnight, the next week when I was traveling, all those fields are cut, and they're beginning to be prepped. The soil hadn't been touched in a long time, but was now being cultivated to give something life. So I had this, this open vision and just to simply explain that, sometimes you would, you would hear or, or hear the Lord in your head or, or kind of see a vision in, in your head or just something like that. It's, it's uh, uh, like a dream, right? The Bible says, you know, that you're, you're young and old men would dream dreams, right? And that we would have that access. And basically an open vision would just be seeing something with what feels like your natural eye with it not being there, okay? It's not anything freaky. It's just the Lord trying to get your attention. And what I felt like I was watching was the Lord plow the field with his hand, reach down, and as he plowed and restored the nutrients, he swept his hand through the soil. And I heard the Lord say this, love prepared the fields, right? The way, the, the beginning step. Love planted the seed, which was his son. Love made the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus dying on the cross. And love defeated death, which is the resurrection of Jesus. If I could have um, Lori come, we're going to begin just kind of closing process. But here's what I'd say. We're going to do a couple things in a specific order. Uh, just stick with me. <laughs> I'm excited for what we're doing here. But I, I feel like some in the room just need to be refreshed. Like we described this morning. So what is one of the ways that we get refreshed? Water? Yes, I agree. Yeah. What's another way that your body might get refreshed? Sleep? Perfect. Who else? Food, man, you guys waited a long time to say that one. Who, what else? Mm, okay. Joy. I like it. There are many things that can refresh us. But one of the ways that we do that, and I'll ask if you would, uh, in this moment, uh, I'll ask you to do something. But one of the ways that we can refresh is to take communion. As a, as a church, as a body. And so if you would, while you have a moment, while we're kind of doing this beginning bit, there are trays at both back tables and two up here. Feel free, I'd really encourage if you're able, uh, please grab uh, a, a communion cup and we'll get there in a few minutes. Go get it now, go for it. And for those of us that are unable to um, get up and grab them or would be nervous about that, would someone please assist them uh, in making sure that everyone has access to communion this morning? Perfect. I love how our team here jumps in to just help uh, immediately as much as we can. That uh, we have a team here that 
not only didn't know I was going to do exactly that, but still jumped in and just got after it. And I love that. Thank you guys very much for partnering with me to do this. So I, I want to say this. I understand in this community, there's some weird stuff tied to communion. And I want to combat that just a little bit. Not in this church, to be clear, right? We believe in the power of communion. We understand what that is, right? But in the greater community of Southeast Idaho, there is some baggage tied to this. So let me ask you a question just to ponder. Are we good enough to have access to communion? Do we have to be worthy to take it? No. I would suggest to you we aren't good enough to have access to communion. We aren't good enough and worthy enough to take communion. So why would God give that free gift to us? 100%. Because he loves us. I love what the former president of Foursquare, Glenn Burris, said. I, I stumbled across this in my study from 2006. Uh, he wrote a, a, a blog, essentially, on reflecting on communion. And he said, what has struck me lately through, uh, though, is the bread that represents his body, broken, bruised, chastised, whipped, and beaten. I'm coming not only to embrace the cup, which is his blood, but also the bread, which is representative of his body. He has not only forgiven me, but he has freed me from the ultimate effect of the world that is bent on breaking people, marriages, ministries, and anything that you can name. To many of us, too often, we carry around the evidence of injury, disappointment, and pain, we have purposely allowed his body to be, uh, he has purposely allowed his body to be broken so that you wouldn't have to be broken by the circumstances that you encounter. So you remember you're not only forgiven, but you're free. So live like it. And it says in John 8, 36, therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Jesus never gave the gift of communion to his, to his disciples because they were good enough. For gosh sakes, right after communion, they squabble about who's the best disciple. And then later Peter pulls out his sword and cuffs a dude's ear off. Right? We're not earning communion. This isn't something you earn. It's not something you're good enough to have access to. It's a free gift. He gave the gift to all of us so that we may know him. The Bible says there is no way to the Father except through Jesus. Jesus, through this act of dying on the cross for us, opened the door of heaven and bankrupted hell. So if you would take a moment and just, if you haven't, please carefully unwrap. There's kind of two foils, top one for your wafer and the lower one for your juice. And I'm going to see if I can get this open too. I might need to get a different one. Trust me, they're not as easy as they look. <laughs> so, <laughs> the case in point. So I want to just give you a moment and direct you with this in communion. Not that if you've taken it, that's fine. Uh, absolutely. But on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So Jesus, we just know that we're not worthy of this, but we're okay with that because you gave us a free gift. So we take this bread that represents your body as an act of you dying on the cross for us and giving us a way to heaven.
do this now in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which was poured out for you. And so Jesus, we acknowledge that you died on the cross for us. We acknowledge that we do this in remembrance of your sacrifice for us, that we would have full access to the Father through you. In Jesus' name, we remember you now. So I tricked you a little bit. I did it in this order on purpose. Normally, most churches, you might see someone give or offer communion after offering an altar call. What I wanted to combat in that, what I felt like the Lord wanted to do in this was show you that Jesus gives a free gift both in his salvation and the opportunity to take communion because we're not worthy enough for either one, right? So how do we get refreshed? Well, one way is taking communion. It restores us. But the, also there's this reality that maybe we just need the Lord sometimes to come in and help us. We're exhausted. We're beaten down. We need new fire in our hearts. We've also, maybe we're in the boat where we've let our relationship with the Lord slip. We've asked him into our lives, but we now need to turn a new leaf and recommit our lives. Or maybe you're in the boat and I can never pass up this opportunity that you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. This is always the first place that we go. And so I want to give you an opportunity. Romans 5 says, while we were yet still sinners, Jesus died on the cross for us. Do you need to ask Jesus to be your savior, to reconcile your heart, or just get refreshed? And I would ask in this moment, can I have the prayer team come forward if you're available? And I'm going to ask you to be bold. Here's the thing. The church body here wants to see people connect with Jesus more than anything else in the world. That's our primary focus and mission is to chase after Jesus and help lead other people in that pursuit. And so if that's you this morning, first and foremost, that you just need an opportunity to say yes to Jesus, can I ask you to come forward? It's a big step. Maybe there's no one in the room, but I, I wonder if there is. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Anyone else? That's bold. It's a choice that's not easy. I'm not minimizing that choice. It's huge. It's life altering. It's life altering. Anyone else? And feel free, team. Feel free. See, Jesus rejoices in heaven over these kind of opportunities. That you say yes and that you would come and allow him to minister to your heart, be welcomed into who you are and everything that you are. Your life will never be the same. So I will ask this one more time. Is there anyone in this room under the sound of my voice? And, and let me ask this, just for the moment that someone needs a little privacy, could I ask all of you to just close your eyes and bow your head? And if it's you, if you need Jesus right now under the sound of my voice, you'd like to ask him to be your Lord and Savior, would you just raise your hand? Every eye closed, every head bowed. Anyone else? 
It'll change your life forever. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. I want to tell you right now that men in the household are 70%. I'm sorry, the, the statistic is somewhere close to 90%. That if you don't know Jesus and your household doesn't either, and as you as the man of your household step forward, there's legitimately 70 to 90% chance that your family will follow in your footsteps in chasing after the Lord. And so I just encourage you husbands, if you're online watching us, or if you're here in house with us, and you are the leader of your home, the pastor of your home, would you say yes to Jesus? And if you're online, we'll lead in a prayer in just a moment. And drop in the comments below if you're online that you want to receive Jesus today, and we'll make sure that we have our ministry outreach team reach to you directly. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. So Father, we just pray a blessing over this service right now in the name of Jesus. That there would be, uh, your presence would rest heavy on us. Even though your, your burden is light and we trust that, we believe it, we pray that it would be like feeling the weight of your glory in this room. So we pray, Father, that you would come and settle on hearts. I pray, Jesus, that there would be a shift in Southeast Idaho right now in the name of Jesus, that there would be breakthrough in strongholds. There would be breakthrough in, 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 in need for family salvation. Father, I just ask, Jesus, that as you partner alongside of us, that there would be a move in the heavenlies to pour out over Southeast Idaho and begin to continue and partner with revival here. We pray, Father, that you would come right now in the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for having me this morning. Thank you for being here with us. We love you. If this is your first time here, thank you for joining us. We're excited for what Jesus is doing in Southeast Idaho. And in the, in the meantime, right this moment, I'll ask uh, that you would just give us a little bit of time to process through with these few individuals today that have said yes to Jesus and that you would rejoice with them. When you see them, shake their hand if they're okay with that. I understand situations right now, but if, if you're okay with that, shake their hand. Give them a, a loving word. We're so thankful for you. And um, as far as leading out, if Pastor Lori would take a moment and close us here as we head into our next events, I would very much appreciate that. Hey, thanks again for joining us. If you have been blessed by Rise Church, be sure to follow us and share it on your social media. You can subscribe to a podcast. And if you haven't had a chance to give yet, you can do so at risechurchid.org or send a text message with a cash amount to the number 84321. And remember that the mission field is all around you, so go in the power of Jesus and bring that transformation for his glory.